Well, hello everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is your Rattlecast for Tuesday, October eighth. Uh, it's a beautiful day up here in the mountains of Southern California. Um, I uh, got to play a little tennis for the first time in a while, and then it's chilling off nicely. We have uh, a pot of the season's first um, Irish stew brewing on the in the kitchen behind us. Uh, so I'm going to look forward to that after today's show. Um, I want to let you know before we really start, I think I'm thinking about switching the format up just a little bit. And I think what we might do is um, I think we will have a pre-show. We'll call this the pre-show before we get into the guest poet. And I think we'll start that about at a, at a quarter to the hour. So whatever time it is now, jump in 15 minutes earlier. And that way it will save us from... Um, from the problem of uh, the streams not working and things not connecting, we can test everything out. If it doesn't work, we can uh, kick people, you know, kick that part off of the podcast. Because what we're really doing here is we are building a podcast live in front of you just for the fun of it. And uh, I have a lot of fun with these, and I hope you do too. So I think we're going to start about, a, f- um, for my time, you know, West Coast time, it'll be 5.45. And then we'll have the featured poet come on right at 6 o'clock. And that way, people who want to just see the featured poet will be able to, to tune in right when the, the featured poet that week comes on. And the people who want more um, can do a kind of a prologue show. And we'll, we'll sort of chat and keep it more casual. Um, if you want to have any questions, you can ask, ask me in the chat. Um, which uh, reminds me right now, if you have any questions, uh, Brother Yao is our poet today. I'll be calling him in just a little bit. If you have any questions for me or for Brother Yao, uh, please leave me a message in the chat. I'm, I'm watching the chat right now. So, so to kick off the show today, first I should say uh, Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit. Our mission is to promote the practice of poetry. We were founded in 1995 and have been publishing continuously since then. And we are unaffiliated with any other organization. We're an independent 501c3. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us, as always, and spending your Tuesday night. Now, to start out, I thought we would show or play a, um, a few poems by Alejandro Escudé. He was the uh, poet that we published for Poets Respond this Sunday. And uh, it's a pretty interesting poem, I thought. Um, the really cool thing, in my opinion, is that I couldn't tell if he was being sincere or facetious. Um, And the interesting thing is that the poem works really well as a poem either way. Um, So I thought maybe we'd play, you know, um, Alejandro is one of those people who submits to Poets Respond almost weekly. He's always sort of in there. We've published him a half dozen times at least, if not more. We also interviewed Alejandro in uh, Rattle number, what issue was that, 658 maybe, if I remember right, or 59, something like that. So um, it was the Immigrant Poets issue. And um, so here is, let's see, here is Alejandro Escudé to start us off and get us in the mood for poetry. Uh, Here he is reading Hellbent. Hellbent. One could be strolling at the farmer's market in a foul mood, yet still shelling out cash to buy heirloom tomatoes and prized beets. And some busybody is sure to take issue with the tilt of your grin hunched shoulders, your self-pity on display. Are they afraid? He's becoming unhinged 
They write, they say, hell-bent on destroying the anger in the man and then the man inside the man. I was there, like Trump, mad as hell, victimized, trolled, scrutinized, like a lab rat who refuses to eat the cheese. I have fantasies of lighting up a cigarette in my classroom, go scream at the principal, of letting them all see the results of a bitter yet muted divorce. I, too, wish to make friends with dictators, destroy those who speak the language as though it were made of flowers, my language, iron-fisted, uncontrolled, ruinous. Fuck the eternal press conference, I say. Even a bully can be bullied. For years, I also wore my conflicts like a suit. I wanted to force them to eat their own faces. I was a frightened, panicked brute. So forgive me if I take offense when you call the president repugnant, aberrant, unhinged, as if there were a door to have been attached to, a house beyond the door to love. My mood was as foul as the leaders of the free worlds, as I was repugnant, aberrant, and I, too, built a thousand walls. So that was uh, Hellbent by Alejandro Escudet. This was Sunday's poem for Poets Respond. And I thought we'd play two more poems really quick. So it's a sort of a, a triptych of uh, Alejandro's poems about Trump and current politics. This one, actually, he submitted for Poets Respond, but it felt timeless enough, and I think we had another poem I really wanted to do that week, so I, we decided to put it into issue number uh, number 62. So here's uh, Alejandro Escudet again, reading A River of Stars. A River of Stars Look how things have turned around on the criminal deep state. Donald J. Trump I visited once the deep state. Nobody met me there. Alone, I guided myself along its abandoned roads. The tree stumps contorted into the torsos of long-dead heroes. A sinkhole every couple of miles or so kept me on my toes. I spoke to a local who was all eyes, no mouth or ears. He stared at me in amazement, then sadness. I found a church in the distance. Then the distance became the church. There were bottle caps on the side of the road, which I mistook for bottle caps. A woman sat in a rocking chair. She signaled that the train approached, soundless. I moved away just in time, and she beckoned me to her side. You don't want what you want, she said. I didn't understand because I'm not from the deep state. She dropped her chin, murmuring, You should have come yesterday. Everywhere there were men hanging from trees by their neckties. Naked women danced in red-lit rooms of abandoned hotels. I approached one, but she grew smaller which, with each step I took toward her. I opened the door, and there was nothing in the room except a warm red glow. Across the street I could see men walking into other rooms, then embraced by other women who wouldn't shrink. 
Above, time flowed on, a river of stars. And in the bars, the cups were empty of drink, though the patrons imbibed to excess, stumbling over themselves, three or four spiraling like tumbleweeds. Across the vast, though arid fields, grungy farm workers planted tiny Bibles like seeds in fruitless dirt. One smiled at me dumbly as he bent up from his work. So that was Alejandro Escudé reading A River of Stars. And um, you can tell there's a lot of, um, I don't know, that poem just cracks me up every time, kind of. Just the thought of the deep state as an actual place. And here's the last poem we'll read from Alejandro. This is uh, I Heart James Comey, going back a little farther to May 14th, 2017. And here he is, uh, Alejandro Escudé, reading I Heart James Comey. I Heart James Comey. I wonder if you feel like me, James Comey. I wonder if they whisper that you're an authoritarian behind your back as well. An untrustworthy independent. A thinker. By God, your own man. I wonder if you feel like me, James Comey. Looking at those grim senatorial faces from your desk and microphone as I look at my high school students always on the hot seat but not daring to show it. A sip of water and I'm off to explain myself, my timing and my thinking. Do you feel like me, James Comey? Always the scapegoat for things that are hardly ever in your control. Do you feel the snake of anxiety wrapping itself around you at midnight? Do you feel like me, James Comey, when a group of childish parents decide to call the principal and complain? He's an authoritarian, they say, and the next morning you're dismissed for the following year. Thank you, but you don't quite fit in, Mr. Comey. Thank you for reporting on me three times that you were not reporting on me. Thank you, Mr. Comey. Thank you. Thank you. Did you feel like me, Mr. Comey, when your letter came, as my letter came? in the mail as well. We thank you for your services and wish you best of luck with your future endeavors. Do you feel like me, Mr. Comey, knowing you did your best, that you tried to follow the book as well as the book in your heart, and that they both had failed? So that was Alejandro Escudé reading a, a triptych of poems there that kind of all related, I felt. So I thought it'd be fun to start the show out that way and get us in the mood for poetry. Uh, now, I'm going to call up uh, Brother Yao, and um, he was kind of running low on batteries. So uh, we didn't want to start the phone call already. Uh, but let me give him a call. I'm going to throw up. This is what we're going to do for the show from now on. That first 15 minutes or so is going to be uh, the pre-show or the prologue. And uh, then we'll throw up the uh, splash screen again, put on some bumper music while I call the guests, and then we'll have the guest all ready to go right at 6 o'clock. That's the idea. But now we're doing this at 6.15. Um, so let me put this up, and uh, we'll be right back with Brother, Brother Yao.
So we've published Brother Yao twice. Uh, first in issue number, hang on a second. We have him in issue number 52 and issue number 60. And uh, his book is Inheritance. And um, Brother Yao read at our reading series last year and dropped me off a, uh, a copy of this book. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. I have to say, it's the kind of book that made me love poetry in the first place. Because it's full of um, really rich metaphor and really intense personal detail that's down to earth and grounded at the same time. So it's a great book. So glad he shared it with me. And I thought I would bring him on to the show today. Um, just to read his bio really quick, Brother Yao, um, Hoke Esclave III, is a professor at Boise State University and former owner of Caribou Books and author of Inheritance. His work has appeared in numerous publications, including African American Review, Crab Orchard Review, Smartish Pace, Plowshares, and a whole bunch of others. And he also um, uh, performs musically uh, at Free Black Space. So um, let's bring him in now. Here is Brother Yao. Good. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm sitting in my office at Bowie State. Yeah, so uh, yeah, but it, but it, but it's good, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you're uh, so that's in uh, on the outskirts of Maryland, right? I mean, uh, uh, Baltimore. I mean. Uh, well, actually, you know, right in between uh, Baltimore and uh, Washington D.C. So we're make, we're closer to D.C. than Baltimore, but we're about maybe 20 minutes outside of D.C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and did you grow up there, or, or did you move there, you know, later in life? No, no, no. I've uh, born and raised in, uh, well, born in New York, but raised in PG County, and uh, I'm actually an alum of the university that I teach. Oh, at. are you? So oh, uh, cool. My oldest son, yeah, and so uh, I've been I've been in this area pretty much all my life, you know. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to read a poem to sort of start us out? Then we'll talk a little bit more. Yeah, and actually, uh, I'd like to read two poems uh, together, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Be... Um, the first one is an earlier poem uh, called The Science of uh, Forgetting, which is from, uh, which is from Inheritance. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, both of the poems are about my father. And I guess, you know, and this may be interesting for folks that listen in, it's... Uh, you know, the poet evolves over time. And uh, the first poem is about, you know, and a lot of one of the themes in Inheritance is, it, you know, my mother and my father are on the front of the book. One of the themes in Inheritance is, you know, their relationship. And so the science of forgetting sort of talks about uh, abandonment. Um, and, and then I'm going to read another poem uh it's called uh, My Father Rides His Horses Into the Distance, which is a poem that I wrote maybe about, I don't know. I mean, I wrote it within the last year, so it's probably about a 10-year gap between the two poems. But similar to this issue of abandonment, but both of the poems take different approaches, and one is an evolution that comes at a later stage in life. Mm-hmm. So the first one, uh, The Science of Forgetting. <clears throat> The simple flush of a toilet, a way to send shit to the same place trains disappear to as they wind around the tracks. The future or the past, the dirty secrets woven into time, the smell you remember, that she was cooking chicken the way you like it, spinach with garlic and ginger, filling the air with the thick smell love becomes in a house past being new. 
house past its past, that it will stand on its stone, creak with the wind, break into tiny bits and pieces, the sink or doorknob, and you will have to fix it. She was throwing the clothes across the floor into piles to wash them, thinking you were still her husband, cleaning the house in a day dress, pine or some fresh air from a bottle as you broke out through the door and found yourself heavy, sandbags around your ankles, the damp air stuffed into the season of rain, the basement of the old house, the way any man feels when he leaves, quick steps, exit, the house where the children lie awkward like dolls in their sleep, legs hanging over the edge of beds, hands over their eyes to hide their dreams trapped in their heads. The worst, you would not come home, ever, somewhere in smoke, in wine, miming his other life before he made one decision that made a hundred others like dominoes, beans, or rice, the one being insignificant, the whole being nourishment. This is life once you start running it. You can't get out. Clamp to the edge of a bar, buying drinks and a stare into the eyes from whoever will listen, whoever is thirsty for the stories we all carry like the waste in our bowels or the hair on our heads, uncountable, to answer to no one, not even love. The trickster, the 98 degrees we all must carry, though it is unbearable, bearing down on the body in summer, even when you're half naked, something cool would do you right, like running water rolling down your face. There is more love to be made, more love to be gotten. The philosophy of the Boer, the pioneer, there was a buffalo and we killed it. There was land and we made it into miles so when we travel, we register the senseless wandering and say we have accomplished something so simple, flying across the sea instead of sailing it. What I am saying is like my father, many men have found themselves standing on the tip of their greatest moment and fell. And thinking they were climbing, they wandered the earth for the rest of their lives, finding no rest, running like water. And then I'll read the other poem, which is called uh, My Father Walks It Ride. My Father Rides His Horses Into the Distance. My Father Rides His Horses Into the Distance. What now? She asked and slams the door. Violence hidden and the sex underneath that. Walk across the room and cry a little, but don't let nobody see it. Both of them like opposites and ideas with flesh pasted on the skeletons. Then the dust comes, then the speeches, then the long rants and heads, fights that have no words, the dead people who could not, could not rest, the sun going down. The old streets of the city where once there were horses, a man singing ice, Milk, butter, bread, what it's all about. He goes outside and talks to the man in the always winter, the cold heated by his breath. He whispers 
and the white smoke rises. He sings the only song he knows. He will not go back into the house. He buys a horse who is too old to run and grabs the rope and walks him down the street and into the night and the cold swallows him. Hmm. Great poems. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, so, so the first question I have, which I really wanted to ask you when I met you, uh, um, you know, a year ago at our reading, is what what is Brother Yao and what's the significance of that? What does that mean? Well, Yao is uh, when I was what twenty one. Uh, I had a name changing ceremony and uh, took the name Yao. It's in a Khan name, which means Thursday born. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, I mean, you know, Yusef Komenyak is a change name. Haki Matabudi is another example. A fine weaver, um, and then you know Amir Baraka, Leroy Jones. Mm-hmm. So you know that that you know as people study more African history and culture, you know one of the things that's a sign of uh, the past is the name. You know, yeah, yeah. And my name, and my name in particular, Hoke, was the name of a guy that uh, he actually uh, I think he was maybe like Secretary of State at one point in time, but he was. Um, you know, he ran on a white supremacist t- ticket as governor of Georgia, you know, mm-hmm. but he happened to show up in the small town where my grandfather was born. Um, and so, you know, as he became famous, you know, that was the name that they gave us. So, you know, I wanted to change that name. But as time has gone on, you know, I always leave my father's name in the parentheses. And it depends mm-hmm. on the day. I, I've changed it up all types of ways now because, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's such an unusual name that if somebody knew my father, and that's, you know, this whole question of inheritance. Yeah, yeah. Somebody thinks good of me and sees my name. I, I you know, I, I want them to get that name, too, mm-hmm. even though I believe in the change name. Yeah. 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 That makes perfect sense. That, that's what I was going to ask is because, um, you know, the book is so much about your father that um, I think it's cool that you use both name and, and you keep your, your original name, too. Uh, so, so what does Yao mean, though? Is there is it did that come from somewhere? Yeah, it's 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 from Ghana. And uh-huh. it means Thursday born, very, uh-huh. very common name in Ghana. But, you know, the strange thing is, you know, I do, you know, I've spent time in China and, and you know, Emperor Yao, uh, you know, in the Tao and in Chinese mythology is a really important uh, Yao. And the character in Chinese, I mean, there, you know, there are numerous characters for, you know, a, a sound like Yao, but the character that corresponds to Emperor Yao is really interesting. It's, uh, what is it? Uh, and then my Chinese is terrible. My Mandarin is terrible, but Santu, which is uh, three earths. So it's three earths that build up to become mm. like a mountain, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of beauty. But, but that wasn't my intention when I chose the name. It was a reference to Ghana, but the same sound exists in, uh, in Mandarin, which is something I found out later, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, do you want to read read a couple more poems? Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, this one. Um, and remember, if they're from the book, let me know the page so I can show it. Okay. Yeah. And this is Valentine's Day. Okay. Which is from the book. Uh, you want the page is forty five. Okay. Cool. Thanks. All right. Valentine's Day. There's no such thing as a white girl. Race. That brick made by men built no temples. 
We know the world was never white. We know it's a construct, an idea, a sticky substance on rat traps like glue. Once my mother put them out and the hairs were stuck to it. A rat is an animal we're not supposed to feel sorry for, but I did. Watching it squirm as I slipped it into a bag from the grocery store while my mother shrieked, she who had done the deed. There's no such thing as a black boy. There's politics and Black History Month, a man in uniform whose back is straight like the finger of my son pointing to the sky. Look, no, look. That was then and this is now. What are roses? What was her name? I liked her and took $2 to school, lit 25 envelopes shut, be mine forever. The heart's candy, dusty chalk. My daddy brought my mama a large red encased plastic heart, the size of it. Each candy was a mystery. What was in the center? There's no such thing as love. People believe what they want. I know better now. Race is an idea, but a man possessed with it converts it to instinct. Them lions look trained, but they're still animals. It's not about love. And did she love me or love me not? It was Daisy Duke and Fair Fawcett on TV. Blonde hair, blue eyes, and little black boys finally immigrating into America by way of integration, by way of the bus ride to the other side of town. There's Lady Liberty above us, staring into the ocean while we stand up next to tiny desk and star-spangled banner, tired, poor, and weak across the sea, where slave ships turn to chalkboard mist. We hold hands. She says, be mine, be mine, and our eyes roll back in our heads. Did she love me or love me not? And then uh, secrets, secrets. I did not tell you about the eyes of the first fish I ever caught. They were glossy and much like a man's. And I stared at them in a way you cannot stare at the living. Though he, the fish, was alive and maybe looking at me too who had caught him for sport and hunger and excuse and mystery about being a man. Often when I dip my hands in the river in the morning's fog, I feel the warmth the water is. He comes back. I wanted him to be trophy. I know what to do with fish, but have no place for his eyes. And then uh, buttoning my shirt. In the morning, in the mirror, my father ties his tie after he runs the razor across his cheek. Tiny Nick, blood, band-aid. I watch his back. See his face in the mirror and learn 
how to stare the day down like dudes trying to take my smile from me. Whip it off my face. My shirt on my back falls loose like I'm cool until I button the circles with eyes and it tightens until I get to my neck, my throat, tie the knot. I'm staring you in the eyes, daddy. I got your back and your face in the mirror. It's morning. I'm buttoning my shirt. And I'm sorry I didn't give you those page numbers. So we're all good. All right. Uh, I'll read one more from Inheritance. Um, and this one is, uh, is called uh, Tomatoes. And it's page 35. Thanks. It says, there is a hole in your chest where your lung used to be. But with your overalls on, the same old man opens the glass door outside to stand among the four-foot-tall tomato plants. Your breath is heavy under the noonday sun, a cough, a cool sound, raspy like the low-talking jazz musicians who say the day and its wisdom your true voice speaking of plants growing soft, low, almost whispering. There is dying, you know, and joy, fighting, bleeding and strength within you, force of the world, like the tomatoes rise from your tiny patch of earth each spring. I see for the first time a tooth missing when you smile and in your hand the red fruit almost perfectly round well thanks for sharing those um you know, the poems uh it, it takes me back to my relationship with my own father reading these poems um and i'm estranged from him i haven't seen him in 30 years so it's kind of a a very powerful book for me to read um, does your, your He's still alive, Tim? my father is still alive? Yeah. Yeah. But you haven't seen him in 30 years. I haven't seen him in, uh, 24 years, I guess, or something like that. So yeah. You speak to him? I do not. Uh, I hear that. I'll get back story later. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, you know, you have that poem, uh, that we published today is the daily poem, uh, um, putting the n-words to rest and he used to use that word you know and he would uh i, I don't know he was a he was a liar and a, I, I don't want to go on about it but he kicked me out of the house and i haven't seen him since um but it, but it sort of brings me back because there's there's good in there too you know there's good in, there's just such a mix of um you know the relationships with fathers and sons are so complex and you really get to it sort of in a lot of different angles in this book yeah and you know you know for me um and you know I'm, I'm, you know, I'm estranged from my mother, and that's probably the first time I've ever said that publicly, you know. But uh, I guess you opened the door for me. Uh, 
But, you know, estrangement is hard. And when I wrote this book, I wasn't, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, and, and I always say this when I'm talking about inheritance, you know, I began the the process of writing the book. It's a collection of poems that covers about 20 years of my life. And so, you know, I, I had my children very young. I was 21 when my daughter was uh well, no, 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 I was 20, no, 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 I was 21 when my daughter was conceived, so, and I began a bookstore, and, you know, I got married young, um, and, you know, there's this way in which, you know, my children, you know, taught me about life, you know, mm -hmm. and my father died when I was really young, my father died in 94, so I was, what, 24 then, and so that idea of reflecting about my father and his death and his life and my family as I built my own family is really like the core of like or the root of like a lot of the other things it is that uh that I've done. So you know again I, I, I think you know and, and again I you know I study you know the Yi Ching or Yi Ching mm -hmm. uh, a lot and you know they talk about household and you know this Chinese thing where household is like hexagram number thirty seven in the Yi Ching. And it talks about how, you know, the relationships that exist in society is a blueprint for that that exists within the context of a family, you know. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I've tried to do in a, in, in a really simple way, and I probably didn't even try to do it, to be honest. You know, I just write, you know. And when I was going back and collecting the poems, you know, getting that, you know, adequate, not adequate, but getting that, like, portrayals of, you know, my father and my parents that, you know, and remembering, you know, the good and the bad or the pain and the loss or capturing those images, you know, is, is a lot of the work that I've done, you know. And, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I it's hard for me to imagine. And, you know, I, I have to say this, too, is like Stanley Plumley, you know, and I missed his, uh, if you know that poet, uh, you know, he passed. But he was one of my teachers at... Uh, the University of Maryland, um, and uh, you know, he recently passed, and I sort of think of him as a as a father figure. And I found when I was getting my MFA with him, you know, I went and read his books, and I found a lot of just beautiful poems about his father that sort of captured, you know, some of the sadness and the grief, but also a sort of quiet beauty, and I want to say like measured steps. It's like the word that comes to my mind. And so I think the other thing is when I was getting my MFA, which is shortly after my father died and I sort of connected with Stan, that's one of the things that I sort of spent a lot of time investigating when I was doing that original work. And it's just sort of followed me, you know, as uh, as I've gone on. And, and, and the other thing, too, is I just think, you know, the thing I'm getting at in my work now like the manuscript that I'm working on, I have two manuscripts. One is called The Common Song. And again, that comes out of like a simplicity in language that to me is sort of like rooted to like that family thing. You know, I, mm -hmm. it, it may it may seem odd to people now, but, you know, I want a poem that, you know, I, I like strive for a poem that just has, you know, simplicity, you know? And, and I'm not saying that like other poets are not trying to be simple. I think people are trying to do the work that they're going to do. But that idea of a common song and how that sort of relates to inheritance, you know, mm -hmm. 
you know, people people don't want to talk about poetry being accessible. And I mean, one of the things I really love about Rattle is how Rattle is a a well, you know, a well lauded magazine. But I always feel like the work is accessible, you know. Yeah, well, that's what like that's, that's what we try to do. Yeah. But but again, you know, there's a. Uh, and I'm, I'm walking very carefully, you know, mm-hmm. like in the Dow, it says, you know, uh, walking across uh, thin ice, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, in today's day, you know, that simplicity is something that, uh, you know, you know, some poems I read, you know, I, you know, I can find a doorway in because I've studied long enough, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, to be a poet and to read and to study almost anything should be accessible. Mm-hmm. But I also think, you know, simplicity and, you know, again, when you get to Asian work, you know, I mean, I, you know, I go back and check out Levi all the time. And um, but, you know, there's this way that, you know, the simplicity and, and then the, how that that roots into, you know, or how that connects with the natural imagery and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, what I'm trying to achieve in my work, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it comes through. And there's this this way that you um, leap through image and metaphor, like there's a casual sense to the speech. And then you just the freedom to go off in any direction you want, which is what I really like about what you do. And, you know, two of the poems that I read, The Science of Forgetting, and then also um, the um, Valentine's Day, you know, both of those poems are really, uh, you know, just sort of another approach to the work. You know, there's really a jazz aesthetic that's at work there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm very much connected to music. And so when you talk about juxtaposing images and some of the shifts yeah, and yeah. some of the leaps, the leaps that occur, you know, there's an idea. And I spent a lot of time, I don't do it as much now, but I spent probably a good decade uh, trying to figure out how it is that you take a poetic line and you establish something like a, metal, a melody. Oh. Well, uh, his call just dropped, so let me try to call him back. Uh, hang on a second. Hopefully it wasn't his... Uh, let me see. We'll call him back. Just a second. It might be that his phone ran out. or Yeah, it might be. He uh, he said he forgot to bring his charger because he had to go to the office to do this. Uh, and uh, the phone probably just ran out of batteries. We'll try him again in a little bit. How about that? Um, but first, let's... Well, we have... Uh, well, we're still still talking about Brother Yao. Um, let's see, where is it? Mr. Wamble over on uh, the chat asks if uh, he has a schedule for writing or only writes when he's inspired. And um, I actually printed out his uh, contributor note from um, issue number 52. And uh, he talks about that a little bit. So I'll read that here. That, that'll answer your question, I think. Um, here he says, I usually arrive to work early and read and write while most of the world is still silent. Though I teach, what I write still seems like a secret. Poetry for me is the refinement of some balance between the internal, wordless world of human cognition and the empire of language. Ah, we're, he's calling us back right now. Hey, Hoke, yeah, we lost you for a second. Um, so I was just reading your uh, contributor note from issue number 52, which I love. Uh, so I'm glad we got you back. I was worried it was the battery running out. So I guess it was just the internet connection that, that lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to change accounts because I, you know, I told you with my machine, what, what did I say? I don't, I don't even I'll, I'll read it again for you. Cause I love, I love, especially this line that I just had read. 
uh, you wrote, uh, you wrote, I usually arrive. Oh, let me, let me introduce it a little for because Mr. Wamble over on, on the chat room asks, um, uh, if you have a schedule for writing or if you only write when you're feel inspired. And so you, you address that in this note, you say, uh, I usually arrive to work early and read and write while most of the world is still silent. Though I teach what I write still seems like a secret. Poetry for me, this is what I love, poetry for me is the refinement of some balance between the internal, wordless world of human cognition and the empire of language. I love that phrase, empire of language. At this stage of my life, I've lost most of my belief, but each morning brings some new thing. I'm learning to trust the sunrise even when I cannot answer its questions or share what it gives me with the rest of the world. So that was your note back in uh, whatever year that was. Oh, wow. Interesting, yeah. So, so yeah, that, do you, that was summer 2016. So, like three years ago, you wrote that. Um, so, is that still true? Do you still write in the morning? You know, and, and, and you know, I, you know, I, I keep mentioning China, man. But I'm such a heavy Tai Chi practitioner, uh-huh. and it really, it, it really relates to that comment. Is that part of what I found in Tai Chi now uh, is uh, a chance to deal with the cognition with without the words. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing a little bit less now, you know, and my mornings usually go to my Taiji practice. But, you know, that's the strange thing, too, is that I consider it to be almost the same discipline, mm-hmm. you know, which yeah. is, I think, that you know, the way cognition works that, you know, ultimately, you know, the poet, you know, again, I guess, stands at a bridge between what we know and knowing being cognition, which is beyond words. And so the poet, you know, works at that bridge and then forges things into words so that we can realize and actualize what we already know and manage it within the context of a society. So a lot of my work now, same discipline, but a lot of my work now has been exploring some of that cognition outside of the world, world, Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the world of words, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I feel like like writing itself is a kind of meditation and it reminds I me, mean, you know, um like qigong or um or playing sports for me, like when I if I'm playing uh baseball, there's that sense of yourself dissolving and there's a sort of meditative spirit that's going on where where that um you know, it's the notan in Buddhism, that sense of no self. And I think you get that from writing and you get that from a whole lot of different things. So um yeah, so so I definitely hear you there. Yeah. And, you know, inspiration, you know, is, uh, and, and you know, the, the sort of dialogue with that question, you know, I mean, I don't even know what inspiration is anymore. Man. <laughs> yeah. You know, after, after 30 years of writing poetry, man, and, you know, and teaching it, you know, I may be a little marred, man, but I'm like, you know, what's the work, man? Uh-huh. You know, yeah. you know, what's the, what's the schedule rise up early? And, you know, and go through rhythms. And, and I always tell my students, too, you know, my, my rhythm, and I, I don't know if I put it in that, but I usually read and write. Mm-hmm. And I always tell my students that if the reading is so good that you don't figure out how to write, you probably stepped over, you know, an important, I mean, or you've climbed up the ladder or, you know, crossed an important threshold. Because mm-hmm. on those mornings when I'm open to receiving the work you know, in the spirit, the spirit work of other poets, you know, I will not put out the energy and try and write, but just sort of enjoy and sit in that moment. So I think the two, 
the two disciplines, uh, you know, they go together, you know, mm -hmm. and sort of fuel each other, you know. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, so let me ask, since you brought up China a couple of times, how did you end up in China and how long did you live there? Uh, yeah, I was, I was, you know, I've taken three trips. And so uh, the first one was in 2010 and I went to, uh, I went to Jiangsu uh, province and taught, <clears throat> taught for a month. And then uh, the second trip was uh, to Wuhan, where I taught at Central China Normal University for about nine months. Um, and then uh, I went back for a month the year after that. So I was there the year that Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. um, so I was there, I guess, whenever whenever that election was. I was I was in China at that time. And then I went back uh, the summer after. I, I didn't go this past summer. Um but, you know, I had long been fascinated with China. And when my bookstores closed down, you know, at, right after I declared bankruptcy in 2010, I was like, what's one thing that I wanted to do that I never did because I was in business and I worked so hard. And China was the first thing that popped into my mind. And so I came up with a way to, you know, take a trip there and uh, and build my Taiji practice and all of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, real good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do you want to read a few more poems now? Maybe like newer stuff? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, so these are a few poems from uh, the the manuscript I was talking about, the, uh, the common song. This is one that I read at the Rattle Reading, which I, which I really actually, uh, it's a poem I'm sort of attached to. And it actually it relates to the theme in Inheritance, you know? And I think, you know, and I mentioned it earlier, the science of forgetting and my father rides his horses into the distance. It's like I have a different set of reflections about my parents after completing this book. And this is one of the poems. It's called Love Song. <clears throat> uh, it says, before I was born and born to an ambition, my father dreamed my mother as the woman he would one day love, not knowing her face or the innocence he cultivated like a small cup of tea on a large round table in the house of my grandparents. My grandfather's anger rattled the table. He slammed his hand down and my mother sipped calmly from the chipped teacup. There was a place near the rim where she ran her tongue across it, the tiny waves. I was a dream then. We all are dreams. Nothing is impossible, they would tell me. We are all like the land, boundless and deep, stretching into horizons, beautiful and vast. When I am singing their song, even now, under the gentle fires of a calm life, I think of their love. It's shaped like clouds, covering a moon at night. Sometimes you can see through them, the moon there shining bright, a strange flower in the sky. And then this is a, a poem, uh, and I, I, I mean, I'm sure some of your listeners know uh, Lil' Jimmy Scott, um, the Lil' Jimmy Scott jazz singer, uh, and uh, one of my mother's favorites, my mother taught me uh, 
My mother a lot of important les lessons about life uh, through jazz musicians. I mean, it's pretty profound when I think about it now, but my mother would say, uh, you know, sometimes she would get a jazz album and she would be like, you need to learn this, so you need to listen to this. So there's a way in which my mother was teaching me about the code of music uh, through people's uh, voices, you know? So this is called uh, At Last for Little Jimmy Scott. It says, a small man attaches himself to the stage. His voice clamps down like paper clips changed to vice grips. Oh, the straw of night, take your air carefully. Don't you cry. They come blue tonight after the hurt. Hearts return to the trampled earth. Love's genius, breath heated, want. Night never stops gasping. We sway crooked in rivers, long skinny fingers touch blood in his song. He sings like a woman with moonlight shining on her face. His cigarette dangles its shadow into the crowd like a black stick a man could use to beat his head back into place after love's dreams have blurred the night. Then I'm looking for another poem here. While you're looking for it, let me ask, uh, how did you get into poetry in the first place? That's always something I'm interested in, in finding out. It's such a strange thing for anybody to be doing. So I'm always uh, wondering how the hell that happened. Yeah, well, you know, um, you know, when I talk about it now, you know, and actually it's interesting, you talked about that phrase, the empire language. You know, one of the things on my blog is I have a series of essays called uh, the empire language. And actually, one of them is going to be published in, a, in an anthology coming up recent uh, in, in the next month or two, uh, which is Empire Language, uh, like number four. But in the first one, Empire Language, I talk about, um, and maybe it's not in the first one, but in, one of, in, in, in quite a few of them, one of the themes is about, I think that I became a poet because my family as a child was sort of splintered and I felt that I couldn't communicate with uh my family and uh so right around the time i was about 16 years old you know some stuff happened in my family and that's the time that i started writing poetry and there's this phrase in the Tao which says uh Tao gives rise to all things and t or virtue refines them and so i really think that the idea of perfecting language for me as it came about right around the time I was about 16, really came because I felt like I couldn't communicate with the people that I loved in my home, you know? Mm -hmm. And then maybe by the time I got to be about, when I was about 18 or 19, you know, I attended the new school for social research and I met Sekou Sundiata. And he's the one that told me I had to study the craft of writing uh, and that's when I, you know, I began to, I guess, become a, that, that's when I became uh, maybe a practicing poet. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, that's when I, you know, really sort of 
began to develop a discipline and sort of study the language in a different way. But the other thing, too, when Sekou was so complex is that, you know, we always had a band. So his his vision of poetry and artistry was not simply uh, writing on the page and the text, but, you know, he performed with musicians all the time. So one of the reasons that, you know, I continue to, you know, perform is because that's how I sort of entered the poetry world in a formal sense, you mm-hmm. know, not simply the MFA and, and, and writing and getting the words right, but also understanding, you know, the trajectory of African-American music and the jazz tradition and, you know, jollies, the African griots, all of that, you know, that's a part of my artistry too. You know, music is very much connected, uh, you know, to what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let me ask one more thing. Uh, what do you think sure. is the, uh, the difference between performing music versus poetry? Like, is there, is there a way that it's different in the same or, um, you know, how do you, how do you think of the two? You know, you know, and, and I guess that's the thing is, you know, in uh, traditional West African music. So Mali, uh, uh, Mali, Senegal, Guinea. Um, and I have some relationship with that music. Um, but in that tradition, you know, the Jolly or the Griot is the poet but they're also the master musician and they're also the historian. And there's a way you can sort of sample that in and talk about it in a really lighthearted way. But in the context of oral traditions, you know, that division didn't exist in those cultures. Mm-hmm. And again, Pan-African cultures are really, you know, I mean, West Africa, we say black folks came from West Africa, but West Africa is huge, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it's, a wide, it's a wide area. But there's similarities in Nigeria and in Ghana. So for me, and you know, I've been listening to Black Thoughts like 10 minute freestyle uh, for the last couple of days, you know. Um, and you know, he's a hip hop artist with the roots. Um, and every time I listen to it and I look at the range of references that he has Voltaire, Tesla, mm-hmm. Scott Fitzgerald, things fall apart. It's like there's this way in which the text that he produces, even within the context of hip hop, which is in a musical sense, it's all about references. The same thing with jazz. Charlie Parker is playing a song and there's a way in which Charlie Parker, you know, or, you know, Duke Ellington or whatever. Somebody takes a solo and they make reference to this intertextuality that exists within jazz music. So I think there's a way that. I think it is the same, you know, Um, but I also think that given, you know, the way print technology works and the empire language, like what it means to distribute literature or to create an educational system that, you know, can exist all over the world. I think there's a place where the text starts to become more important. But the bottom line is there's something about poetry. I mean, and that's why, you know, a live broadcast like this is good. Uh, it's something about poetry that's about people and like you being in a place with those people mm-hmm. and you reading it and the breath and the air and the sunlight and whatever else it is going on, the shadows in the room. There's something about that that lends itself to like music and, and, and performance. I think maybe it just exists on scales, Tim. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some people want that scale to include all the musical references 
and will change and develop their voice in a certain way. And then other folks are like, because I mean, poets, regardless of whether they perform with musicians or not, are very familiar with the music of poetry and talk about the poetry has to have music. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's it's the same, but it just occurs in uh, gradations. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, thanks for that. Uh, do you want to close us out with a couple more poems? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, okay. I would love to. All right, so this poem is called Train. And it uh, it says, train down the straight iron rails at five, looking out, picking up rocks, hurling them into the woods. Heavy is the weight in a boy's arm. When he throws the rocks, he throws his whole body, feels the world in his arm. As the gnats rise into the air and graze his eyes. Not far from home, he hears the echoes of his mother's voice. Here the train comes, hear the whistle. At five, train tracks, gust of the wind the machine makes. A little boy wars in his heart, wars in his heart forever. And I'm gonna look for one other poem on this computer and then I'm gonna finish with banned books if we have time for that. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Okay. Um, Let me just see if I can find it. Sorry, it's taking me. Ah, No worries. Right. And this is untitled. Later that day, when I thought about heaven again, I remembered you in the morning with your head resting back, your eyes closed, lips together like there were no words left in the world. I kissed you, looked out onto the street and saw the snow in the trees, a young boy in a blue cap riding his bike into the cold. I turned back to you, but you had risen then, and I watched you walk away from me deeper into the house like a woman I never knew. Your dress was wrinkled, and I thought about your hips. We had already made love, and I wanted to kiss you again so that you would believe what I told you about the wild horses on the beach who eat out of strangers' hands and come to me in my dreams almost every night. And then the last poem will be uh, Banned Books, which is the poem that I open up, uh, I open up Inheritance with. Uh, and there are two uh, quotes here. The first one is, uh, in Africa, when a man dies, so this is page three, in Africa, when a man dies, it's a library burning. Hampate ba. And then the second one is, give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. Fall into the lake's mist 
this September cool the air over and under a silver line attached to a weight and a hook into water to find the bottom. Rest there a minute. Not far from here, my father on the edge above the plane of the water, looking down and looking out on a bank where earth moves its gut worms, lures, hands arching to fingertips, threading, twisting, moving in early light. Did he know the November he died, his tackle box, his denim overalls, the small spray can, catfish bait, the smell of dried spam, rotting, preserved, the shriveled worm pasted to a rusted hook? Did he understand the great metaphors when he taught me art of watching water, of pulling out the tangles in a line, of singing want with its subtle distinctions? When he taught me waiting, he did not wait. He did not teach. Messy man with dirt caked into the ovals of his nails, blood and guts smeared across his waist, cigarettes dangling out of his mouth, smoke rising, killing and dying, raising his voice without patience. Tone I took his hate. Then I was afraid. The ghost of his eyes, thunder and impatience over tiny things, watching a rod, a line bending, throwing rocks into the water, not paying attention. Did he know of the burned Egyptian libraries? Did he know himself as the sages prescribe? Man with a bamboo, man with bamboo, walking into the tall plants, trying to find a good spot. If man is a symbol, my father is a penny, brown, copper, and abundant everywhere. He is use, used, and useless. Did he know that writing is not moment, dusk is not really black, human is not flesh, that we are really impossible and believe in less? I ban his books in grief, my God. I've forgotten those mornings like nights, those nights like mornings. Thanks so much, Brother Yao. Uh, I'm glad you ended on that poem because that's one of my favorite in the book. And I love that that quote that leads off. Um, was it in Africa when an old man dies, it's a library burning. That's a great quote and a great riff on you know what you do with that. Um, yeah, so I'm glad you read that one. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. And 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 thanks for doing Brattle and uh, all the beautiful, uh, all the beautiful work that you do. You know? Well, it's always just my we, pleasure. And, <laughs> and when you uh, finish your next book, when you have that manuscript ready to go, send it my way, and we'll have you on again. All right, that'll that, that'll work, man. Awesome. Thanks so much. So, brother Yao, uh, have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Peace. So that was uh, brother Yao. And uh, reading his book, Inheritance, which is uh, available from Willow Willow Editions, I think. Is that what it's called? Let me make sure I get the, the word right. Um, Willow Books, which you can find at willow.net. So 
I recommend picking up a copy of this book, Inheritance, if you can. Um, really moving book for me personally, and those are his parents on the cover. Um, so if you enjoyed uh, Brother Yao, please do click the like button right now if you haven't yet, no matter where you're watching uh, or listening, I should say. Uh, you could be on iTunes do, if you do that. Give us a five-star rating for this podcast and make sure you subscribe and tell your friends. Um, if you're on YouTube watching live, make sure you click the like button and uh, subscribe if you haven't yet and click the bell so you get notifications. We do this every Tuesday night. Uh, and now we're going to move on to our epilogue, which uh, which is the open mic portion of the show. I have, uh, let's see, I have three pre-recorded poets. I have John Luna with that long poem that was a little quiet that we uh, bumped up from last episode. Then Charlie Bayless from England and uh, Kathy Prather, Prather Russell from uh, Michigan lined up as um, the the uh, pre-recorded open mics. And then I also have um, Liz Rizzo, Liz Gallo. So it's a, it's a battle of the Liz's. And uh, Michelle Parks, possibly, if we have time, doing Skype. If you would like to call in on Skype, all you have to do is send me a uh, text message. So log into Skype and uh, send a text message to me at Rattle Poetry, all one word. It'll pop right up, and you'll be able to I'll, – I'll text you back and let you know that I, I have you lined up and uh, we'll read read a poem of yours. So let's uh, let's do – let's see. Um, let's start with one of the open mic poets uh, from the pre-recorded. Let's do uh, Charlie Bayless. Um, you have to bear with me just one second as I fire this up. Now, this is Charlie Bayless from Nottingham, England. And uh, let's see, he's the editor of Anthropocene which is a, some, a magazine. His poetry has been nominated twice for the Pushcart Prize and once for the Forward Prize. His most recent publication is in Drag City, and he spent his spare time completely adrift of reality, which is how, um, how I like to spend my free time, too. So here he is uh, reading his poem, Okinawa. Hi, this is Charlie Bayless, and I'm going to read my poem, Okinawa. I'm calling from Cartagena in Spain but hailing from Nottingham in England, home of Robin Hood and the world's greatest football team. Uh, Okinawa is a poem set in Japan, and it was featured in Ambit. Okinawa. Around the corner from the refinery, a red lighthouse dances with a green lighthouse in the ballroom. I gave my sandals to the sea, you said stop, pull the rain over me. A silent spirit, lost on the ocean path, a shadow spent over water. The black boat burns, you walk the ruins with me, across the old country. I take you, smoke spirals from the napalm grass, I can only stand so much of the wave's delicacy. Thirteen villas, one empty. Sixty-four steps to the sea, then back sixty-four steps of radiant blue. The orphan, draped in expensive rags, gun in hand, the promise of hypnotic beauty, the torpedo gathering momentum. 
a golden strand of hair on the sand, or the foam print pattern on your back, tensed. Heavy air, bullets, a vortex in a shell. We seduce the machines which destroy us with Roman candles and mass graves. I'm not interested in symmetry. The moment has passed. Ghosts in the back whacked out soldiers, white wine and cigarettes, an outstretched palm. You are no longer. I am no longer. Who would want to be? So that was Charlie Bayliss from Nottingham, England, um, calling in from Spain, though reading Okinawa. So thanks so much for sharing that with us, Charlie. And uh, Charlie did that perfectly, introducing himself in the poem a little bit so I don't have to and I can uh, avoid butchering your name, which I do all the time. I'm very sorry about that. Um, But Charlie Bayless is pretty easy. Okay, so uh, let's go to the Skype. Um, Just bear with me a second. I'm going to call Liz Rizzo, no, Liz Gallo first because she's the first person to... uh, um, to ask to be on. So hang on one second. I got the ringtone in my ear. We'll see if Liz Gallo picks up. Hmm. Well, Liz Gallo didn't pick up. I'll try Liz again in a little bit. Let's try Liz Rizzo first then. And Liz Rizzo's picking up. Uh, hang on just one second. Uh, Liz, if you're there, click on the camera button to make sure that the uh, video is showing. There she is, Liz Rizzo. Uh, hang on, let let me pull you into the feed first so everybody can see you. But you are now on screen and on video. Hi, Liz. Hi. Uh, so where are you calling from tonight? Uh, well, I'm calling from Los Angeles, uh, and I volunteer for an organization called Write Girl. Oh, and we of course, mentor yeah. teen girls in writing and self-expression. So I thought it would be fun to read a couple short poems that I've had published in Write Girl anthologies um, when mentors were included. <laughs> yeah, that'd definitely be a lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome. Should I just dive right in? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. All right. So the first little poem is called Wednesday Meeting, and the introduction says, I write poems in business meetings. Don't tell anyone. Wednesday Meeting. With eyes and fingers intent on his laptop, He thinks about numbers and lunches and reports while he listens to the meeting. Speaking up when he has something to contribute, he crosses off the calls he made from the car, multitasking the same way I listen to audiobooks while I type up the minutes, except he's not sitting there thinking about kissing me. And then the second poem uh, is from our anthology called Emotional Map of Los Angeles. And this one is called In One Ohm. And I said, this is a piece about the moment after Shavasana in yoga, yoga practice when we roll on our sides and curl in a fetal position for a moment. I wrote it while considering my fingers. In One Ohm. Palm to floor. I consider my fingers sideways with newly opened eyes. Heads rested on arms, we breathe. With legs bent fetal, pause. To consider my practice, regrounded, rebounded, 
In the moment between Shavasana and Namaste, we awaken, we roll, we curl, touch the floor and push up. In this room together, we are reborn. Thank you. <laughs> that, those are great. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what Right Girl is and does? I would love that. I would love that. It's a Los Angeles-based organization. Um, during the school year, uh, in our main mentoring program, we have these amazing writing workshops, different genres every month. And like 100 teen girls and 100 women writers come together and we do all kinds of fun things and the girls write and it, it's it's really wonderful. It's very inspiring. The girls mm -hmm. are amazing writers. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Thanks so much. For, is there a website people can go to for even more information? <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, that would be awesome. We always need support and we always need more mentors, mm -hmm. uh, women mentors for the main program and also men mentors. We have another program called Bold Inc. Uh -huh. And you can find out about that at rightgirl.org. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for calling. That was a great reading and, and you clearly know how to use Skype because you're all set and uh, perfect background and perfect <laughs> framing. It's nice to, uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for calling in. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And I hope you do some, some time again. Yes, thanks. Okay, have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. Ah, so that was Liz Rizzo uh, talking about Right Girl. And so check that out if you can. Uh, let's try. Let's do one more. Uh, actually, I think Liz Gallo is uh, messaging me right now. So I will just call her up. And um, she says she was just turning off her washing machine, which is probably a good idea. You don't want the washing machine running in the background we'll give her a call right now um so liz rizzo i have you on let me uh let me pull you into actually i don't need to do anything it's all set up now perfectly so here you are you're on screen and on a video thanks so much for calling in again no problem no problem yeah, sorry and... first time <laughs> <laughs> no no problem uh, refresh my memory where are you calling from i, I don't remember i'm in toronto ah that's right, right. okay i'm in I'm an American in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. So what do you have for us tonight? Um, so I'm just going to read uh, sort of two, one very, very short and one short um, poem from a play I co-wrote with another writer here in Toronto um, who's very talented. And we've performed this play a couple times and most notably at the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word about two years ago. Very cool. So this play is called Air. Um, and this first sort of poem from the play is called Space. For 1.2 seconds, we were in space, armed wrapped, arms wrapped around each other. We embraced, lifted off. Yes, this was space. Until gravity pulled you down with your right hand, you gently pushed away my left while your left hand waited and grazed my right, as if to say, I kind of like the view from this space. Back on earth, your words are soft with the world holding you down. I still float in a red dress somewhere above the clouds. Very gonna, nice. Yeah. I'm going to do one more from uh, the ending poem that uh, my character recites um, in air. And this is called Multiverse. In the multiverse of our verses, we are not man or woman or human. We descend in the dark forest, touching the abyss. Outside, a universe may exist. 
where fairies do fly and objects do move with our eyes and sounds are celestial revolving around our evolution until we are no longer man or woman or human. Only space, only light, only warmth in the night. Each breath is filled not with oxygen or nitrogen or water as we swim in the stars through each other's arms, hear each other's lungs, see each other's hearts, touch each other's tongues, spinning thoughts into memories of love and hate, passion and fates until we are no longer man or woman or human. Only space, only light, only warmth in the night, only space. Only light, only warmth in the night. Thanks. Very nice. Yeah, thank you, Liz. Uh, well well read, too. That was really entertaining. Thanks so much for sharing. <laughs> thank you. No problem. Well, the, yeah, there's a whole play for that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that along with formed with another person. So. Do, you, do you act out in the play, or do you do it for other actors? Yeah? Yeah, we work well. When we wrote this play, um, myself and Dane Swan is the um, other poet, and mm-hmm. he's some books published here uh in canada and and that and we performed it together and set it to music so mm-hmm. he played acoustic guitar oh very cool uh, throughout the piece so mm-hmm. just guitar riffs is very simple because i'm not uh-huh. i'm not a singer <laughs> anything like uh-huh. that yeah um, yeah so i was a little scared when he was like we're gonna put this to music mm-hmm. um yeah so we did perform it ourselves um we both have sort of performance poetry backgrounds um as well so yeah um but i think if i were to stage it more i might actually get real actors not myself (laughs) well well you are great here thanks so much for sharing that with everybody and for calling in i appreciate it thank you okay have a good night you too okay Ah, so that was uh liz gallo thanks so much for liz calling in let's do um let me see let's do this long poem if we we uh this is a 10-minute job, so be ready. Uh, this is John Luna, and he submitted this uh, way back in early August before I made a time limit. This is a work in progress, uh, this whole podcast, Rattlecast poetry show. So, which, which brings up a good point. If you have any suggestions for things I could change or do differently or add or subtract, uh, just do let me know. There's a million ways to uh, contact me through Rattle or through Facebook or through Twitter or through um, Skype chat here, or uh, the, the chat room on YouTube, um, comments on SoundCloud. There, there's just so many places. I see it all because uh, I'm always here. So, um, yeah, let me know if you have any ideas or suggestions or things that you did not like. That helps a lot, too, actually. Um, so, so this is a work in progress, like I was saying. There's now a five-minute time limit I'm imposing for the pre-recorded poems. But this was submitted before. It's a really good piece, too. So... Um, I'm definitely going to play it. This is John Luna. And um, John Luna is from Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, Let me read his bio. He's a Mexican-American artist uh, whose practice as a visual artist and writer includes painting and installation, critical writing and poetry, and teaching art as well as art history and theory. Publication of his poetry has appeared in Ditch, Canyon, Cordite Train, Guest Matrix, Hamilton, Arts and Letters, among others. And his first collection of poems, Listing, was released through Decoupage Publishing in 2015. His second book was shortlisted for the Robert Croach Award for Innovative Poetry in 2017. So if you enjoy this, I'm sure if you Google John Luna, you'll find him 
uh, pretty quickly. And um, here is John Luda, and hopefully I turned the volume up loud enough that it'll work this time, reading Yadigan. Hi, my name is John Luna. I'm a writer and artist from Shawnigan Lake, British Columbia. Uh, the poem I'm going to be reading is called Yatagan. It is part of a series of ekphrastic prose poems based on the notion of scent. Um, this poem was originally published in Matrix magazine from Concordia in Montreal, and uh, that issue was the Mad Pride issue edited by Roxana Bennett. Yadigan. Updated directives for getting lost in Arcadia. Misread instead 365 poems for every occultism. Polygraph Park. Recindering of fires. Haunted by horse guests. Astutely becoming more than a statue, but less than a man. Painted in like the ones who going were before in your place. Before I admit it, I'm already writing myself down amid writhing, spiraling wills. A body attuned to the room, a groom poised softly on smoldering, cap-toed calfskin dancer's heels. Dressed in the threshold of the closet doors, mirror observations at tacked angles. The dreaded figure drifting away from the framing gaze's legitimate complaint. Longevity. And this, by the way, should be put into perspective, applying yourself to the bright end of the candle, last half as long, hoping to burn at least once more as bright. Father's enthusiasm for consuming war. Movies, books, TV shows, clothes, model planes, politics, unpleasantries, accents, was all too infectious. I have fond memories of going out with him to weather on his porch chair where, wearing his hugging, shearling coat, he smoked unfiltered shit. Carrying those burdens that run down our one side of the family and up the other, only ever drawn out through picture, history, and song. When don't we quit it, deciding enough has been done to death, reposing and so let death file away the breast? My lifetime means before the end of the world and or if this movie never ends. Death becomes his picture maker just as we begin to picture him and his world become irritant, afterlit and post-traumatic. An arc of stars goes from astringent shivers to warm gas jets to bitter gall to earthy fertilizer to tonic. Shared precedent pressures of breath at the starburst of a butt end become dragged out dank for all time scat call of sentimental vendettage and pathetic loft of newspapers folding and unfolding prayers and shared subway tunnel air outside or all else opaque pine fog mentholated in grisaille terraced distances and tree sap smoke blanketing caramelized needle stroked ground coat around cross-hatched rows of roads and odd lots of houses sullenly pulled up and put up for sale. The stale smell of leaves pulled from deep recesses with snow caking to each tread, tannic 
ringing versos as the crevasse of each cheek above the dimple fills with sorrow's core soul complaints as the sun in bright polarized pigmentations called flash and sola fide carry through these days of delays as a notebook kept in any and all circumstances protection against fatigue and stupor humor sorter of priorities if only to make up later time for making time up winter darkened views from the park car windows heaven in the tenacious husk of birch trees belonging to the night of someone else's lights his eyes half closed resting after having undergone the knife being now some other something then with breath of life and nothing achieved by a brute force but only by some arcane right now under brain mumbling a cracked chill back to impassive opalescent scrollwork of etched old lady mirrors of forest frost and beyond block felted black and white rabbits we melt into with our sight our mountains there's sight an artist has created with a live feed of a CGI stag that drifts or dashes through the random sandbox backdrop of grand theft auto an alternate fraud fault land of california or nevada we could watch for hours as it paces the scrub and sage outside a truck stop or wavers along the desolated nightfalls roman candle manic depressive strand one time this happened crashes that blurred the screen thunder or demi slash distant explosions a crash blurring the senses not far off sirens on the highway make the stag start moving forward a bang car careered and careened yielding sparks spurting up off the overpass as it tumbled the membranous screen within the screen shuddered shouldered raining and darker suddenly the stag started falling over boom getting up wham fell over blam a cat dummying in the sun legs out sideways on the land a man was flopped down from the sky tossed next to the collapsing stag crack a pipe landed crosswise over the man's chest a pointing black finger burning in slow unfurling flags of rendered flame that held but wouldn't consume him the car came down next flung as if in ecstasy at the feet of the still prone man and the stag's hind hooves where they lay hovering side by side we misspoke our destination and allegedly ended up trapped in allegorical wood grain segregating easterly morning's grassy plain from western night's divided valley where cold on the home front meets thaw at the verdant verge eventually we found our way or as is so often the case with elegies were ourselves found out in these continuing successive dream sequences there is no money as ever but we still trying to win out against the absentee authorities that make us captive cry release the ashes like shakespearean characters torn out of context as we fall again into ourselves asleep now up and awake as someone or rather somewhat else or what or else a quick disclaimer to say 
It's annoying when we're away from the time of any breakthrough. Mostly subtleties get lost. The situation requires us to adjust our expectations and relate rather than analyze. These woods, for instance, why they interact with the body's temperature in a way that feels spontaneously cool while seeming to physically prick the skin, unaccountably rendered echoes of presence engendered in an open space, just as between us densely overlapped senses under blankets at night, a physical transference of each other's imprint of being in the world traveling, discovering places where the invisible culture sustains us all. In every book that gets picked up and thumbed through as dog years, we discard. Luminous, dynamic, heartwood of cut-up conifer trunk left outside to redden under overhanging boughs all spring and summer and fall, quite consumed in revelatory weight of soft cinder pleats between fingers of charcoal. Brush past famished, varnished, old-world paneling of churches or Buddhist temples, doors. Sponged with incense, calligraphic ash as air kisses, wish-fulfillment for warrants and wants, wafting gingerly over the hard creak of battered boards, not thinking for a moment that each footfall that these bespeak does not anticipate one or more of your own thinking settled in where ground water runs all night amid saintly entanglements, odors of decay, heavy decomposing and sensible seepage. Suppose we might get to work again tomorrow, yet again a minor journey all by itself, or with tensions and stress pinned through, thought triggers everywhere, depleted electrolytes and post-seizure brainstorm giving way to new and more substantial blows to an ego on the go. But anyways, always, discern why and when, to whom or for what slash on, what slash for, whom or with whom, we pray, pray, our pray, each day, etc. So that was John Luna reading um, Yatagon. Uh, thanks so much, John. That was a great reading. That was probably the longest poem we'll ever do on the open mic, but um, nobody dropped out while listening to that who was watching live. So, um, And that was an excellent reading and a very, as, as uh, I think Liz said, uh, Liz Rizzo said, it was very atmospheric. Uh, I have to listen to this later on the... Um, podcast audio only version as I walk my dog through the woods at midnight and the full moon and uh, see if that if, if maybe sometimes we should do poems that long that was really cool so thank you John Luna once again that was John Luna from uh, Victoria British Columbia and uh, his book of poems is listing uh, so check that out if you can so um, let's call Michelle Parks I love that we have a bunch of people about a dozen or two dozen people who are here all the time. And um, I think it's great. And uh, Michelle is one of those poets. So let's bring her into the stream and see what she has for us today. Michelle Parks, hang on just one second. Let me uh, turn you on. And uh, we are here. Hello, Michelle, calling from South Carolina again. 
Yeah, it's excellent. I'm glad to get to be here tonight. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And I really love that we have repeat callers and, and people who watch every week because it makes it feel, for me personally, I don't know about everybody else, but it makes it be, feel uh, like I'm sitting around doing something with a group of people, which is really important. So thanks so much for, for participating. And what do you have for us today, Michelle? Uh, well, you probably don't remember because you read thousands and tens of thousands of poems a year, but about three years ago, I dipped my toes into submitting to Rattle Magazine's $10,000 annual contest because mm-hmm. it's a no-brainer. You get a year subscription for entering the contest with all the chat books and all that great stuff. So I entered twice, and it was from... Um, what I call my evolution of an addict series. Mm-hmm. So it's based on my life. So very personal to me. Awesome. Well, I definitely so, read it. Uh, we'll see if I remember it. Um, there's a <laughs> lot, a huge ocean of poems in between, in between that and this, but, but let's hear it. Thanks so much for sharing. Oh, certainly. It's called RX. Pain calculate. Divides razors in shoulder, blades etched in grief. The world waits. Carried over and under, we weigh our gray matter in ounces like lead. Heavy, gripping, needle sharp, yielding. Hold on. Sometimes I can't sleep through the measures of miles of mortar and pestles. There's rust on my spoon. From the earth, I've uplifted my tomb. There's no kindness in this felicitous vaccine. No blue pill to forget the sunsets to burn. Backs bowed to toils in a languishing garden where fools sweep to water pestilent thorns. Well, thank you, Michelle. That was great. Uh, Yeah, thanks so much for sharing another poem. Um, and I uh, hope we see you next week. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks again. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. So that was Michelle Parks uh, calling in again on Skype. And uh, you too can call in on Skype anytime you want. Uh, just uh, send me a text message to Rattle Poetry. Um, but you're going to have to wait till next week because we are pretty much done. I'm going to do one more last pre-recorded open mic poem to close us out and um this is kathy prather russell from gross point woods michigan and uh, she's a published author and ceo of carol greeting and gift shop and gift of a helping hand charitable tr and this poem god never left me is a published piece from her uh, poetry book entitled life journey and experiences through my eyes. The poetry book is available on Amazon. So just look up that life journey and experiences through my eyes. This is Kathy Prather Russell. And uh, here she goes. God Never Left Me by Kathy Prather Russell. Recorded in Gross Point Woods, Michigan. Often I am smiling, but deep inside I am wearing a frown. I am sobbing, but determined to change my life around. God has never left me. I know he sees all my tears and pain. I repeat to myself always, I have got to maintain. Disowned by my family, no friends to love me, 
my husband acts like I don't exist. I can go on and on with my lonely list. I look around for answers, wondering why this burden has fallen to me. I pray to God up above to take away my worry, to set my sorrows free. Though I sat in my dark and cold home all alone, I know God has never left me, for he will provide the skills for me to carry on. God never left, for he has greater plans for me. God will allow me to soar higher than I have ever dreamed. So I wiped away my tears, looking forward to a greater day, because I know God is providing for me, and he will make a way. Though I cannot see what the future will bring, I still give praise to him for each and everything. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Kathy Prather Russell from Gross Point Woods, Michigan. That was God Never Left Me. And once again, her book of poems is Life Journey and Experiences Through My Eyes, which you can find on Amazon.com. And... That is our show for today. Thanks, everybody, who tuned in. Um, I'm sure everybody who's watching has already clicked the like button and subscribed, so I won't even bother saying that again, even though I just did. Um, let's see. And I would like to say, too, I think this is the first episode of the podcast where I didn't screw anything up. And I think I can just download the audio and um, and uh, make it a podcast. So we're ready to roll. I won't have to do any editing tonight. That's really nice. Let's see. Who is up Next week, uh, next week we have Aaron Puchigian plus an open mic. So, um, Aaron Puchigian is a formal poet who's appeared in, I think, maybe two issues of Rattle plus maybe Poets Respond once. I have to look it up again. And his book, Mr. Either Or, is a novel in verse. So, I assume he'll be writing a big, you know, reading a section from that book and, and sort of explaining what goes on. I haven't had a chance to read it yet myself, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, it's hard to find time to read a whole a whole novel in verse, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that over the next week. So tune in next Tuesday, and remember that we're going to start a new way. We're going to do a pre-show starting at about 5.45, and then we'll call Aaron at 6, so you know what, right what time Aaron's going to appear. We'll do Aaron for about 45, 50 minutes, and then uh, we'll do the open mic after that. So we're kind of shifting everything back about 15 minutes to make it a little more casual, I think. I, I think it's going to be fun to do it that way. And um, so I will I will see you then. Thanks to everybody who called in on the open mic. Thanks to um, Brother Yao. Let me show his book one more time because it's a great book, and I do hope you pick up a copy. This is uh, Brother Yao, Hogas Glover III's book, Inheritance. That's it for today. Um, Thanks again, and I will see you next week. Goodbye.